Welcome back to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I'm Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver. Mom, she's touching me! I am not! And I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, clinical psychologist and executive coach, your navigator. And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapy associate, your mechanic. Which leaves you, the listener, as our fearless driver. Onward! quote is by Lee Haney. Parents must lead by example. Don't use the cliche, do as I say, not as I do. We are children's first and most important role models. Last week, we talked about the care and feeding of all relationships with an emphasis on marital relationships. Today, we're shifting to our relationships with our parents and how we parent our children if we have them. Since not all of our drivers have children, but most of them have parents or parental figures, let's start with how we interact with our parents. When I was about 12, Papa and I went camping, and we got there a little late, so the sun was kind of setting, it was getting a little dark, it's kind of hard to set up a tent in the dark, and Papa said, Ben, go back to the van, get those tent poles. So, being an obedient 12-year-old, I ran back to the van, popped open the trunk, and it was empty. There was nothing in there. We had taken all the stuff out already to set up the tent. So I jogged back and I said, Papa, I can't find the tent poles. And he said, they've got to be in there. Look harder. So I went back to the van, but it didn't work. They still weren't there. So finally, Papa comes over to the van, triple checks for me. There's no tent poles in there. It turns out he left them at home. So we spent the weekend in air-conditioned bliss in a hotel. Papa, what was that experience like for you? Well, it was a little different. It was a lot more frustrating. Uh, I had come home from work early. I was running a business at the time. And so I had to race back from work, pick you up, pack the car, get on the road. It was five hours all the way up to the mountains where we were going to be camping. And I thought I had everything and it was getting dark and I just wanted to get the tent set up. And we had hauled out most of the stuff except for the tent poles. And then you helped me discover that I had forgotten them. And I felt very disappointed and very embarrassed that I was disappointing you and we wouldn't be able to stay where all your friends were and would have to go back and forth between the hotel and that space. It was a little on the hard side for me. I don't even remember being disappointed, though. No, you were delighted because they had like 300 channels on the television and air conditioning and a shower. It was summer, right? It was really hot. Uh, Yes. Yeah. It was like August. And we weren't going to get, it was a whole weekend, we weren't going to be showering right? There was a communal shower. Oh, that's right. Who wants a communal shower? So it was, it was tough because, you know, what was I modeling? I, I wasn't prepared. You weren't prepared. And yeah. the number one, as we all know, when you're camping, you got to be prepared. That's right. We should have had twice as many tent poles as we had. Sure. You weren't a Boy Scout. We were not Boy Scouts. No. Maybe that's why we weren't prepared. We did Y guides. Can anyone really be prepared to be a parent though? What is parenting? So that's really hard. We're never really prepared to be a parent because parenting is not just one thing. Each child that you have requires different parenting. So Don't you point your finger at me. Yeah, you required a lot of different parenting. Alternative parenting. Rude. 
Well, not necessarily because some of it was easier. Okay, but there's lots of different aspects to parenting, but what so what are some commonalities in parenting? So one of the commonalities is parents are our primary source of our first and foundational beliefs and values in life. We tend to imprint how we live our lives based on how we experienced our parents early in life. It's not the only thing that influences our beliefs and values, but they are foundation stones that shape how we experience the world going forward. Somewhere around age six or so, and certainly by age 12, children begin to see that there are other ways of living in the world. They, so by the time I was 12 with the tent poles, I was kind of like, there's some other, we could, we could have done this different. Yes. I don't think I gave you a hard time when I was 12 though about it. You didn't give me a hard time when you were we 12. We mostly just joked about it. We thought it was you, very funny. You waited until you were about 14 or 15 <laughs> to make it into a major joke. And then it ran for a while. And now it's back. And now it's back. And now it's forever on the internet. But yeah, we do start to experience other ways of living in the world. You hung out with other families who did things in different ways. And you would bring that information back. And that was true for you too, Kim. You would bring information back and try and figure out, well, why do we do it this way? I questioned extra hard. Everything. Everything in the world. But these are our first relationships with our parents, and they are powerful anchors for our own sense of self and how we live in the world. Whether we strive to emulate the parts we like or adamantly reject the parts we didn't, we are in reaction to those first impressions about what being a human is supposed to be about. In order to freely choose how we want to be as adults, though, we need to first accept our parents for who they are, both good and bad, and see them with compassion as fellow travelers. They are farther down the road than we are and have much to tell us about the terrain they have traversed, but their terrain may not be our terrain. Their train? Their train? <laughs> no, their terrain may not be our terrain. Ooh, okay. Their path may not be our path. I feel like it took me a very long time to recognize. Kim, when did you first think about our parents as their own individual humans who are still learning and growing and developing just further along, you know, the path of life further down the road with more experience, but still learning new things every day. Well, I know my relationship with Papa changed when I was 16 or 17 and I started working at 3C doing filing and paperwork. Um, and I kind of saw the business side of him and the different aspects there. So I think that really changed my perspective of who he was, how he was learning, how he was approaching the world. I don't think I really thought about about it until I was about 21 and kind of realized, you know, I think I asked for advice about something and I didn't like the advice that I got. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. And then I realized, wait a second, you've never done this either. You, this is not a situation you've been in. You're just making this up. And Papa laughed very hard. Yeah, I had that experience way younger than you. <laughs> I think a lot of... Uh, our experiences, Don, overlapped in, in ways, you know, like the things that I was figuring out, you at least had some experience in, and maybe that wasn't as true for you, Kim. So like, there wasn't that discrepancy. Most of the time, if I wanted advice on something, I was getting it from someone who had done that thing. And it was solid advice that I was like, yeah, that's about what I was thinking about doing anyway. So it, it aligned with my own sense of self already. 
which maybe is because of the influence, you know, of growing up with you and being young, like you said earlier, that we imprint, you know, those values and behaviors early on. But it really, I remember being around 2021 before I realized, oh, you're giving me an answer based on information you have, but you haven't experienced this particular thing. I don't remember what the thing was, but it was something I knew that you hadn't done yourself. And that's when I really was like, oh, you're like your own human. Does, <laughs> does your own thing. I know I ran into that with mama when I was a lot younger because she and I used to get into it on, I mean, everything. But for me, again, it was very much the situation, the concern I was raising was very different than what she would try to relay to me. And that just kind of grew our conflict because um, her experience growing up was very different than what I was experiencing at that point. Um, so it was really hard for her and I to communicate around that. So I definitely challenged her train of thought on everything. That's an understatement. I was trying to be polite for listeners. Yep. That's kind of our experience in terms of uh coming to grips with our parents being fellow humans in the world rather than parents. But um, Kim, can you talk to us some more about like the practical applications of parenting? What are some ways that you demonstrate things to your kids or interact with them? So there are tons of ways to convey expectations and things that you want to get across to your children. The primary way, the thing that's most uh, achievable is through modeling. So your kid is going to act pretty much how you act when they're younger. So if your kid's like acting out, is that because you're acting out? It's a good place to look. But like, don't little kids throw tantrums all the time. You know, you're not throwing a tantrum. Are you not throwing a tantrum? I don't know. I'm not throwing a tantrum right now. Do you have kids? Not yet. You used to throw tantrums. So, so you were throwing tantrums is what you're saying. Well, you No, you I saw, was throwing tantrums. <laughs> you weren't there yet. You were not there yet. I feel like there's a, a legendary Azevedo story since we're in storytelling mode. Oh, there is. So um, when, when Kim was born, there was more difficulties. She had an infection that was uh, difficult to get rid of. I'm um, still difficult to get rid of. And so Kim was not feeling very well. Mama was beleaguered. She had both of you. She had to take you to the doctor and then to the pharmacy where there was a lot of waiting to do. And you got tired at the pharmacy. And you fell out just screaming and kicking your feet. And you were laying on the ground and all kinds of stuff. And Mama had Kim in her arms and Kim had a, a mild fever at that moment. And Mama was tired. And she looked at you, sat down, picked up a magazine and said, when you're done, come talk to me. And even though people were staring daggers at her, she just looked at that magazine. And eventually you quit, came up and touched her on the knee and said, I'm done now. So this is modeling. She's modeling a calm behavior to try and calm me down. But she still had to wait for me to be done with my tantrum. Yes. So what was, I'm not modeling her behavior in that instance. No. And I would say that you had probably seen times where she and I had raised our voices or dealt with something with more anger because that's kind of a natural thing. Sure. And children also have very few words, so they are more likely to yell and scream when they're frustrated and they don't know how to explain what they need. 
They're small bodies with lots of emotions. And very few words to convey them. So let's say I want my hypothetical future kid to be very respectful. I should demonstrate respect, right? Yes, you stole the line that I was going to offer. I was trying to make it a question, but now I'm in charge. Apparently. Okay, so based on modeling, if I want my hypothetical future child to be respectful, I should be respectful as well. Do I need to be respectful to the child? Should I be respectful to other people? What What's the best way to demonstrate respect in a way that a child would understand? Being respectful to all the living creatures that are around you. So your, your spouse, somebody who comes to the house, um, or someone that you interact with where the child can watch you, the animals that you have, and the child. So how do you demonstrate respect to an infant? Well, number one, you track what their needs are. If they need their diaper changed, you change their diaper. If they're hungry, you get them food. If they're bored, you give them things to play with. You, you're tracking and noticing who they are and what they need. That's respect. What are some other um, practical things that parents do in the raising of children? Well, in the same vein of modeling, there's a concept of coaching. So this is teaching your kids about thinking in different ways and how they respond to situations. The other day I was on Facebook doing my millennial Facebook scrolling. Uh, and there was an article that came up about a dad whose child was in a princess phase. And it's really easy to like hate on the princess phase of damsel in distress, which is this societal norm that's been spread. But this parent chose to engage in the in the play with their child and be the royal advisor to the princess. And he would coach her on how to address the problems of the kingdom and, you know, what the elephants needed and what the teddy bears needed. And they would do this over tea and they would discuss the the concerns of their kingdom. And it gave the child a chance to look at what leadership is and what it meant to be a princess of, you know, a community. And through this was civic responsibility, compassion, uh, communication, all of the different aspects of what it means to be a leader. So in that moment, that particular parent was able to coach their child on a situation through something that they enjoyed doing. So it was incorporating play with learning and coaching. Absolutely. Crushed it. All right. This all makes sense for younger kids, for little kids, modeling and coaching. But as they grow up, I mean, you're probably not, you know, you grow out of the princess phase. So what do you do next? Are you sure you grew out of the princess phase, Ben? I am not. Okay. I, 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 I was just wondering. a pretty princess. <laughs> I never entered the princess phase. <laughs> You entered the rogue phase. I have high charisma, though. <laughs> All right. Our so paladin. parenting really never ends until the parent dies. And even then, a parent can have influence on their child's life through the memories the child retains. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about ghosts. Well, it could be ghosts, too. Parenting does morph over time, though. So think about childhood as having three phases. You know, From zero to six years of age is, is the phase where parents have the most influence. And that's because the kid is primarily there with the parents. These children are seeking connection with their parents and they spend a great deal of time with them and they're looking to feel like they are competent in their parents' eyes. That's our best time to have influence with our kids. From six to 12, 
the rest of the world starts to enter into our child's lives. They have more friends, they engage in more activities, they go to other people's houses, they see how other people live in different ways. And they bring that information back and try and process it with their families. They have teachers and coaches and friends and families of friends and all kinds of different influences about stuff. I, I remember actually one time you went to a friend's house and they took their shoes off at the front door and that was novel for you. You were about seven. I would never take my shoes off. You actually did take your shoes off, but you came home and said, why don't we do that? Because we like our dirty floors. <laughs> now he's judgmental. Okay. I'm just goofing. I'm not just, trying to be judgmental. Just, there are differences that are out there in the world. <laughs> I've learned my lesson. I'm staying out. So the kids are actually trying to figure out what do all these things mean and how do I incorporate all of it in? And then from about 12 to 18, this is the third phase of childhood. And this is where kids are really working on establishing their own set of values and beliefs about the world. If they have a strong relationship with their parents, this can result in the child admiring and choosing many of the same values and beliefs, but also being able to talk about why do you hold those values? Why do you hold those beliefs? How does that work for you? And how might it work for me? And if it's a strong relationship, the parent is also able to let go enough so the child can choose for themselves. So how do you keep the relationship strong? Well, from zero to six, hold them close, but not too tight. Spend time exploring the world through their eyes and discovering the world um, from their point of view as unique beings. Help them become confident and competent in the things which they are drawn to, not the ones you want them to be drawn to. But expose them to lots of different things, too. Yes. So, I mean, the only way they can be drawn to something is showing, you know, at that age, they're not going to, like, discover painting on their own. You're going to have to provide some finger paints, you know? Yeah. They're not going to discover music on their own. You're going to have to provide those things. Right. But provide them with lots and lots of stuff. Yeah, lots of a variety of stuff, just like you provide them a variety of food a variety of activities, but then watch for the things that they're interested in, not for the things that you would like them to be interested in. So you hold them close from zero to six. From six to 12... Throw them away. <laughs> you want to throw them away. <laughs> no, six to 12 is fun. Six to 12 is a pain. In, it, that's the middle school years, and they're the meat grinder years. They're the onset of puberty. Oh, I don't want meat grinder as an analogy for anything involving a child. Oh, but middle school very much is. You didn't like six to 12? This is elementary school and into most of middle school. Yes. And it's really that tail end that starts to get hard. And it depends on when puberty hits and, and the rest of that. But that's that's a very difficult time. Unless it was Kim, in which difficult times began at age five. No, no, that's late already. Fair. You were difficult in utero, darling. What can I say? <laughs> I do my best. All right. What's, so for the third phase. For the third, for the third phase. So from six to twelve, right? You want to help them process all the information that's going on um, without judgment, and certainly from twelve to eighteen, and really beyond. This is the phase you guys are in as young adults. Um, you want to help them consider the consequences of their choices as they are figuring out what their beliefs and values are. You don't have to condone or agree with every choice they make, but you do have to recognize as a parent that you're not going to be there. So they're going to make choices whether you're there or not. And what you hope is that you've laid enough good foundation work 
that they can accept the consequences of their choices without them being so difficult. Which of the three phases is your favorite? So honestly? Yes, honestly. No, I want you to lie to me. I really like the last phase. Ah. And the reason I like the last phase is because I love watching the future adult emerging and the, the person really becoming themselves, finding their own values and their own beliefs and, and tracking a trajectory in the world. That uh, is so cool to me. Go ahead. As I morph to become a perpetually anxious butterfly. How's that working for you? Stressful. You might want to pick a different way then. I've been trying. So what happens after that third phase, after 18? Similar to the game of life for an old reference. You used to play the game of life with me. And I am officially an old reference. Folks, I got whiplash from the side eye that just happened from Kim to John. I was just on the periphery, but man, the shockwave was intense. Listen, I made reference to the Nickelodeon Splat logo and I had a client look at me like, what is that? So I am officially an old reference. Anyway, so similar to the game of life, you turn 18, you move forward. Uh, Some people choose to go into the workforce, go to trade school, go to college, whatever their trajectory turns into. You leave the house, maybe. God willing. Hypothetically, you leave the house. Um, And you start to become more in charge of your day-to-day living, your life choices, whether you're going to go to class or your job, whether you're going to study, whether you're going to hone your skills, all of this becomes your decisions. It's really scary. It's really stressful. The hope is that you can have family that you can rely on and say, hey, I'm feeling lost. I'm feeling overwhelmed help me give me advice as you did, Ben. Some people don't have that experience, which is unfortunate, but they start to find other people that they can ask for advice. Essentially, you become your own parent, your own supervisor, and you determine these are the behaviors I want to do and these are the behaviors I don't want to do. I turned 18 and I got a tattoo like four months later. And I remember texting mama and papa the statement i'm getting a tattoo but with a question mark and papa's response was is this a question or a statement and i said both and he said you're 18 i can't say no Uh, and that was kind of my first realization of like oh i really do have a choice in all of these things um i got the tattoo i still love it for the record and i have gotten many more And I also dyed my hair that year. That was the first year I dyed my hair because that was another decision I could make. Uh, So this is kind of that post-childhood phase, even though you're still in many ways a child, your brain is still developing, you're still gaining insight on the world. Sometimes in this phase, kids bounce back to the home. Uh, We like to call this the boomerang child who gets launched and then comes back. Both Ben and I did this, where we went to college, we got our degrees, but then we moved back home because of different life situations that led us to do that. And then we relaunched Ben off into the workforce, and then I left for grad school. This is all kind of that weird, who knows what's going on, and it is uncomfortable and stressful. And we begin to realize that, hey, Our parents also do this, and it is probably equally as uncomfortable and awkward for them 
as they learn new things like technology and how to record podcasts and what is this internet thing you're asking me about? Thanks, Kim. I think that's a really good description of what happens after 18 for the parent-child relationship. So to summarize everything we talked about, um, parenting is really being the primary source of values and beliefs for a child, for another human. There's three major phases of childhood. So you have zero to six years old, where as the parent, you should hold the child close and model and coach desired behaviors and show them how you are in the world and how you want them to be in the world. Then you've got six to 12, where they start experiencing a lot of outside influences, teachers and other friends and other parents. And you should let them explore that. But then when they come back, you have to help them interpret what they've experienced and how it relates to your own beliefs and values. From 12 to 18, they're going to start making their own decisions and there's consequences to those actions. And you don't have to agree with everything, but you have to help them understand those consequences and why their actions are leading to different reactions. And they'll develop themselves as unique and distinct humans. After 18, you're really letting them go out into the world and figure out what kind of behaviors they want to do. And sometimes they come back and sometimes they stay out there, but you as the parent are just there to catch them and support them in everything they do. That's really just a broad overview of the parent-child relationship. There's obviously way more stuff we can talk about. So next time we're going to talk about the boomerang kid, which is sort of someone who's in that post-18 phase and maybe comes back um, after college or hasn't quite figured out what they want to do in the world professionally, something like that. So we're going to talk about how to be a good supportive parent when your kid needs a second chance to launch out of the home. Thank you for listening to The Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we want to know what you think. So write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at relationshiproadtrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m., so don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at azavitofamilypsychology.com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services, from original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email ben at bearcaveaudio.com. Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. And may the sun shine warm upon your face. Bye.